Welcome to the GSI Briefing Podcast. This is Regina Agia, President of the Garden State Initiative. Joining me this month is Pat Delacava, Business Manager for Local 102 of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. We had a wide-ranging discussion of our state's business climate, how that impacts organized labor, and what our state can do better to produce more skilled members of the trades. Founded in 1900, the Parsippany-based Local 102 trains and represents over 3,000 qualified electricians in New Jersey and Northwest Pennsylvania. Pat Delacava has been with IBEW Local 102 for over two decades and comes from a family steeped in organized labor leadership. His grandfather, Pasquale, ran the laborers' union back in 1932 out of Patterson. His uncle Tom led the plumbers' steam fitters' union, and his dad, another Pasquale, ran IBEW Local 102. Here now is my conversation with Pat Delcava. Welcome, Pat. It's great to have you on the GSI briefing. Appreciate you having me, Regina. It's my pleasure. To get us started, you know, for our listeners who might be unfamiliar with your local, can you tell us a bit about your members that you represent? Yes. So uh, on the construction branch, it's probably 2,500 men and women that we have trained throughout the years. Uh, When they entered the apprenticeship, we put them through uh, 8,000 hours of on-the-job training and roughly 900 hours of classroom time. Um, we also have an option. We we work in concert with several universities that if they wanted to get an associate's degree uh, by taking some extra courses here and online, we would get them to the point where after the uh, they complete their five-year apprenticeship, they would have an associate's degree. Um, so then we do continuing ed for all our members to obviously stay ahead of all the new technologies coming our way and to co- always constantly upgrade our skills, um, ongoing safety training. All our members are, are mandatory OSHA 30 training and they get trained in, uh, NFPA 70, uh, which is like a, a burn prevention training for when they're working on live voltage and so forth. Um, then I, we have roughly 500 in manufacturing. Um, we manufacture everything from electrical cable to shrink wrapping for buses to horns and strobe notification devices for fire alarm and alarm systems uh, throughout the state of New Jersey. That's quite a quite a range. Where do you hold the training? Uh, right in our office in Parsippany, we have a uh, fifteen thousand square foot training center, and then we do outsource some, and we bring in um, NJIT professors to teach uh, computer aided design and building image modeling in house. Uh, we send our people out for welding. We also do continuing at a. Uh, do 75% tuition reimbursement with Rowan University, where people can go get um, degrees in construction management. So they'll get a BA in construction management and we'll pay 75% of the cost. And so that's the training aspect. The main business is basically a temporary employment agency where this pool of 2,500 men and women will work for 250 different signatory employers uh, for any duration of a day up to a lifetime. 
these employers uh, sit on trust funds with us where they help co-manage our training fund. And we also have a defined contribution, a defined benefit plan, and a self-insured healthcare plan. And these employers finance a lot of risk for very low profit margins. And they they are on pay schedules of as late as every 90 days. So it's a very technical, very tight business. It's all competitively bid. Um, and that's the main business. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to briefly just give you the history of construction in, in New Jersey from when I entered in like 1978. So in 1978, I started and um, we were in the middle of a gas crisis and we were in a bad, slow decade of work. We had just gotten done in the 50s and 60s, building a lot of the infrastructure in the state, building a lot of manufacturing plants, chemical plants, um, car manufacturing. And we slowed down during the 70s. And when the 80s hit, we built 80% of the office buildings in the state of New Jersey in one decade, along with restarting like Hessel Oil Refinery and Carteret. We were doing heavy, heavy work in a pharmaceutical industry, manufacturing all kinds of drugs here. And it was probably the biggest decade we ever had, and we swelled our ranks. Then the 90s hit, super slow. Um, and we we're all waited for the year 2000 and we were supposed to get extremely busy. And we kicked it off being very, very busy. And then we had 9-11. So 9-11 set us back. A lot of people started, stopped investing in our state. Businesses stopped, started to move out. We went from doing six and a half million man hours a year to four and a half, where we currently have been stuck. And every time we think we're going to come out of it and hit our stride again, it went something like 08 market crash, Hurricane Sandy, and then COVID. And that kind of brings us to where we are now. So, you know, 50s and 60s, tremendous for us. 80s, same thing. 90s were bad. And since the year 2000, it's just been sort of touch and go for us. So that's kind of where we are now. We'll explore a few areas that maybe are affecting the business climate, which obviously, you know, affects the work that you guys do. And we'll come at it from a couple of different angles here. And let's begin with a new report that GSI just issued calling for reforms in New Jersey's uh, highest in the nation business taxes. And Pat, you were kind enough to offer a full-throated endorsement and co-authored even an op-ed with us. And in that op-ed, Pat, we talked about how North Carolina as a state is doing things right with tax reform. So maybe at a broader level, what's your take on how a state's tax and regulatory climate impacts your members? So our local has been a partner in Choose New Jersey since its inception, which was a, is a nonprofit charged with luring businesses to our state from all over the world and trying to prevent them from leaving. And it was very successful in the beginning and it worked in concert with the EDA. And I had was fortunate enough to do a three-year stint on the EDA and I found it to be a very effective tool of government 
And when we, we looked at the metrics we were given for every new job you created, you got a $3,000 tax credit that was going to last up to 20 years, 5,000 in a, a bad city, you know, like in a, um, an Abbott district. And the metrics always proved that by creating those new jobs, um, the net benefit of revenue to the state's coffers was there and it was and it was, you know, bountiful. So in my mind, I look at that along with pilot programs, along with tax breaks, along with uh, the environmental trust fund, uh, giving interest free loans to do, you know, situations with water and sewerage on different sites. And you, so you start to think to yourself, wouldn't it be better if we just lowered the corporate tax rate and we wouldn't have to go through all these machinations to lure people here? Like, why not make New Jersey just fertile ground to invest in? I mean, recently I had uh, saw Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank and he mentioned New Jersey as a state that's absolutely uninvestable, that he wouldn't put his money here. And this bad habit, we I mean, we also have very high energy costs. We have very high property taxes. And I think it all needs to be addressed if we're to lure businesses here. And, and part of the reason construction had always been cyclical is when a, a state became too expensive, they simply move out a state or two, go to Ohio or go to Pennsylvania. And, you know, we need desperately to retain them. We're... We're losing our highest SAT score students to universities in other states. They're never coming back. We have a, a tremendous talent pool here. We're not utilizing it. And, and we have the probably one of the, the most compressed uh, pools of disposable income of anywhere in the world right here. So the businesses want to get at it. They want to get at the disposable income. They want to do business here. And time after time, developers come here and we scare them away, you know, and that it's a problem. So, Pat, on the topic of business climate, back in 2020, you were very outspoken, as were we at GSI, on the proposal to place a tax on financial transactions processed through data centers located here in New Jersey. Can you talk a bit about your opposition to that tax and what it meant to your members? Yes, and it would have been devastating to us. You know, these data centers are by and large our biggest projects, they're the most technical. And although they don't employ many people inside the data center, uh, uh, watching the servers and so forth. We put a tremendous amount of people on maintenance in there. So does the carpenters union. So does the stationary engineers. And, uh, these are round the clock, 24 seven maintenance jobs. And we were told by everyone who occupies these data centers, if that tax pass, they were out of here. They were going to go to Chicago. And don't forget, we're in direct competition with parts of upstate New York where there's cheap hydroelectric power, you know? I mean, the game is being as close to uh, Wall Street and the servers. Most everything is done through New Jersey. Like the whole European bond market trades through New Jersey and it'd be a shame to use it. And I, I look at it like sort of parallel that back in the eighties, um, AT&T, or was it Lucent, had long lines in Morris County, where every 
every phone call in the country went through New Jersey. And that gave us the revenue to develop satellites and great technology and, you know, and, and data centers, you know, they, they're great for communities in a sense that they're not clogging up the arterial roads with trucks like all these big warehouses are now, or they're really good neighbors in a community. And they have the the type of capital that when they desire to build in a town and they get this huge candy list of fire trucks they have to buy and parks they have to build and they're they're able to pull it off. You know, they need to be near a a good natural gas main line and a lot of dark fiber. And we have that to offer up here in, in North Jersey. And that's why it's we're planning on building quite a few more. So yeah, that was we were adamantly against that tax and we were not sure what they thought they were doing when they were suggesting that, but it really would have just destroyed that entire market for us. And it probably would never return after that. Well, right. I mean, to to your point, number one, they're good neighbors, nice, clean, you know, in terms of operations and uh, not disruptive to the community. But also because of the concentration, as you say, they can move it around. Technology's now enabled them to be able to move relatively easily. They don't want to. And I think we provided, you know, a good home for them. And we have to, you know, really think about what are the things that we can do that retain the businesses that we've got and add to them. And, um, you know, the subject of infrastructure and, you know, how it supports the economy. And you've never been one to mince words on the importance of maintaining and upgrading our state's infrastructure. So maybe we can spend a minute talking about which projects, whether they're ongoing now or in the near pipeline, do you see as the most critical to our state's economy? I guess uh, electrical infrastructure, given the... uh this energy master plan, which is is going to be an animal as far as feeding it with the power it desires. Uh, we are doing some natural gas compressors now. We really desperately need more, more natural gas cogens, and we need uh, possibly a nuke. I mean, there are states now preparing to build new nukes. There are smaller, modular um, um, nuke plants that we could do. I mean, we are getting ready to embark on the huge infrastructure upgrade to accept the power from the offshore wind, which is, you know, it's a ridiculously expensive project. Um, you know, just like solar requires a ton of subsidies. We're happy to build it. We're happy to put in all the electric car chargers, but the, the bottom line is the cart is before the horse. The, the infrastructure is not there to support any of this. And it, again, it's a very aggressive schedule that a lot of the parts of the country are running. I mean, also our bridges, we desperately need to redo them. In Pennsylvania, they're doing something like 350 bridges in a two-year period using a lot of prefab. And the contractors installing them are from New Jersey, a lot of them. So it can be done, but here, year-long studies, engineering, you know, it's it's there's just always so much in the way of um building anything here. And and listen, we still have water lines in wooden pipes, we still have cities that are mixing septic and stormwater together. We still didn't build the cogen 
in the sewer treatment plant in Newark at Passaic Valley Sewage. If, you know, there was another Sandy event where here we go dumping raw sewage into the, the bay again. So, you know, none of these projects are romantic for the voting public, but, you know, we're getting a lot of infrastructure and flood mitigation. We're not even addressing any flood mitigation. Areas like Mansville and Bound Brook go underwater constantly. So, you know, for a state that's got more money coming through it than ancient Rome, we're really not spending it wisely, you know, uh, in my opinion, when it comes to infrastructure upgrades. Well, as you know, Pat, in Pennsylvania, they have a P3, which is a private-public partnership. So it's an agreement between the government and the private sector to do the repairs and the uh, construction of bridges and roads. And I think there's a huge opportunity for New Jersey uh, to, as you say, bring those workers back. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, New Jersey uh, workers that, you know, could be working here in the state. So that's one I want to just, you know, mention and acknowledge and agree with you. Now on the power side, uh, 100%, you know, the, the phrase I think being used now is really looking at all of the above in terms of power sources for our state. And nuclear, for sure, uh, is one that's had a lot of innovation, smaller reactors, as you say, you know, de minimis amounts of waste, which is really what, you know, is bothersome to some people, and the need to continue to manage a transition, not, as you say, cart before the horse and, you know, pushing the end the end, I guess, supply before the actual infrastructure is, you know, ready to go. So, and I think power will be a subject we'll be talking about for several years, trying to get it right as a, you know, frankly, both our state, our country and the world is trying to deal with, you know, the adoption of renewable sources, which we all, of course, think are smart, but figuring out the right time and the right cost basis for, uh, for everybody to be able to swallow. You know, it's just like the electric vehicles. At some point, some investment company will buy all the electric chargers and they'll raise the rates on how much it's going to cost to charge the car. So, and that's what you can't lose sight of either. It's even for our businesses to to do business in the state of New Jersey. If our power is going to be three times the power of Pennsylvania or, or Ohio's rates, we're going to have a serious problem here. Now, you mentioned a whole range of infrastructure and a a variety of actual, um, your your members in terms of their skills and the areas that they work in. So let's go back to that subject for a minute. So I'd like to hear your views on as a state, you know, are we doing enough to educate and train workers who want to join the skilled trades with you? And what more would you like to see in this area? Well, so there was a push to have like pre-apprenticeship programs and people would Hmm. think that what we desired was someone who already knew how to do some electrical work. What we really desire is heavy math. Um, You can't be in the skilled trades if, if you're not, don't have really good math skills. Like to take our aptitude test, you know, just to qualify, you need a year of algebra one with a passing grade, but it's a very math centric business. And so are a lot of the mechanical trades. So for us, it's like reading comprehension, math and science are paramount. We'll train the people when they get here. It's fine if they're a complete neophyte when it comes to being a construction worker. We know how to train them to be a construction worker, but we need them to have the right math skills 
to be able because you know we've been conduit and different things we do that are um, you need to understand this when i went through my apprenticeship in the 80s we were doing impedance formulas now admittedly i i struggled with trigonometry in high school but i was glad i had it because i actually had to use it somewhat when i got involved so yeah anybody that thinks that preparing kids for the trades like sending them to a trade school we unfortunately are bound by federal regulations to our bureau of apprenticeship and training where we have to meet certain criteria and you know and our programs are all laid out for us and it's the same nationally so yeah for us it, if i had to say it's math and reading all the way get those skills up and we can help a lot of kids get in here and change their lives for the better Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't expect you to respond that way, Pat. And I guess you, you mentioned you work a bit with Rowan University. Any other university you're working with, be able to you know produce the students that you're talking about? Yeah, no, we're not so much pulling them out of colleges. At, I mean, we do get ones that go through vocational schools, like where we'll go actively recruit and whoever the top of the class is there, we're going to take a good look at them, obviously, because we already know they want to do this. And I personally, I love ex-military because I know they know how to get up and go to work every day. And it's still, it's a much safer business than when I started, but it's still a roughneck business. I mean, I myself have worked 300 feet in the air. I've worked where I'm in a cabinet with 5,000 volts, where if I just put my hand on the wrong thing, I'm pretty much going to be expired right there. So it's a very stressful business and a little conditioning as far as being able to handle pressure. Uh, that comes really naturally to someone who comes out of the military. So we, we do enjoy those people quite a bit. Wow. So like this year, for instance, we'll test 600 people for 50 jobs now i wish i had 150 jobs um but we we certainly have no workforce development issues whatsoever here wow. and we're turning people away who are already electricians who want to be part of this uh we just need we need to grow the pie in new jersey and and create more opportunities and we could help a lot more people that's really interesting and i guess Maybe that's where I'll try to, you know, end us because that's a, a great point about the number of openings and the people interested. Because as you know, there are other parts of our economy that are having difficulty filling jobs. And, you know, you have um, you know, really kind of a different kind of problem. So maybe I'll I'll wind up with an open, you know, question about, you know, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing uh, organized trade workers like, you know, your teams uh, in New Jersey? Well, it's always been getting the government added away to developers because we need, you know, to provide enough runway in front of our people that all this part-time employment adds up to a 2,000 hour a year steady career for them. And that's what's problematic, you know. Uh, I mean, the only other thing that really troubles us are the high costs of health insurance running a, a self-insured health care plan and i cover 1400 retirees and their wives and it that's been a challenge 
more on a managerial side. So in my mind, being a, a pure economic development guy, grow the pie so big that even if I lost market share, I'd gross more hours. That's what I'm after. I'm not the person trying to legislate their way into market share by having everything be prevailing wage or project labor agreements. I differ with some of my peers, uh, much more conservative than most other people. Uh, but that's in my mind, make it so everybody wants to come to New Jersey, start a business, expand a business, and and we'll be able to help a lot more young folks have an opportunity to have a, a good career like uh, all of us have enjoyed up to this point. Well, we couldn't agree with you more, Pat. And that's uh, a great way to, you know, end our conversation. I really appreciate you making the time and being so straightforward and honest and giving us a really a bird's eye view into, you know, your workforce and the things that, you know, you need to be successful in New Jersey. So thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Regine. I really enjoyed it. The GSI Briefing is produced by the Garden State Initiative. For more information about GSI, visit us at GardenStateInitiative.org and be sure to follow us on social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the GSI Briefing on the podcast platform of your choice. And please leave us a good rating. This is Regina Agia, and thank you for listening.